Welcome to True House Stories. I am Lenny Fontana coming out of New York City and it's sweltering hot. And I want to let everybody know we had a fantastic holiday weekend. Went to a ton of parties, saw a lot of people. And yes, we're trying to stay safe and numbers are still kind of going up with COVID, but we're working through it. And hopefully with this bad dream can be behind us soon. But thankfully, we're still here and we're on our 51st episode. That means we're 51 weeks in already. So for today's special episode, I asked one of our favorite vocalists to come on up and join the show. And she said, hell yeah. In fact, she says, I was waiting for you to ask me. (laughs) So I said, you know, I'm going to ask you, Billy Ray Martin. Welcome to True House Stories, girl. What's up? How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. So first thing before we get started, because of course everybody knows I'm going to ask that first question I want to say to you, how has COVID been and how have you handled surviving through it? Uh, It's like, well, it's, it's been a long one, hasn't it? (laughs) It's been a long one. And as time progressed, it actually became harder because I didn't always agree with government decisions about what had to happen and what kinds of crazy things you had to do next and not do and how you can not go into a shop without this and that and the other. And, you know, it, it became really bizarre. And it, it, um, I also felt a lot of isolation, not because of the isolation, which was the obvious one, but because of people's attitudes of fighting each other and disagreements not being discussed. And instead people attacked each other a lot. Um, it's still, it's still continuing. So that made me feel quite alienated Okay, from people, you know, rather than, Hey, we need to come together in this. The opposite is kind of what appeared to be happening. You know, if you look on social media, <laughs> so that was hard and it became a bit, you know, increasingly a bit difficult to, to handle. But, but I'm, I'm glad you look healthy and you look pretty as happy as you always do. So you look <laughs> confident and happy and I know you're busy and you'll tell us all about that. Of course. And we want to welcome you to this wonderful show that we do each and every week, as you know, um, so let's get right into let's dig in deep because we got that damn football game that God forgive yeah. cursed them out. But has to be on my night. Can't put on another night. Move it to Thursday. Oh, it is Thursday as well. This show. I know. So, Billy, as I ask everyone, I'll ask you the same. How does music find you, or you find the music as a young? Boy? How does or how did? How did you find it, or did it find you? I should say whatever, whichever way it was. It found. Well, I guess it found me because I'm one of those people. I don't know if it's a rare thing or it happens a lot, but I lit- I was literally two years old when I started singing. And um, I know this because my family told me, my, my grandparents would later tell me stories about, you know, how... I was two years old and I was on the rocking horse and they couldn't get my attention. And I was just sitting there singing, you know, and then when I was like five or five, six, I was, I was literally making tapes, um, um, telling my, I mean, like real to real. And, um, you know, we had like a 
you know, like a domestic, like real to real thing at home. And, um, which was my grand, my grandmother's. And, um, I would sing on it and I would put it in an envelope and give it to my grandmother and say, could you send this to the television? Because, you know, I, so this is like when I was five or, you know, so this is like literally, so I think sort of music came with me <laughs> onto this earth, you know, pain. Um, so you already predisposed, as we say, coming from the other side, ready for this. I think so. I think so. It was all a plan, probably. <laughs> Maybe you know, as an entertainer during the time when Moses walked the earth. And you, <laughs> you could have been royalty. You could have been working for the royal, you know, for, for the... Well, I was entertaining well, the troops, right? <laughs> you the at that time, you were doing all the all the sideshows for the Romans. Yeah. So of <laughs> course now, so you actually destined to go to television or radio. So that was something that was in you. So then take us on the trip now of how it begins the career starting. Um. Well, my grandparents, because I come from a working class family. So this career thing or this idea of you can go out into the world and do what you want to do wasn't really something I was told. This, is, this was something that was almost not for us. That's the message I was given, you know, we're a working class family and these people on television, that's for them, but not for you, you know. So I was not given this kind of, hey, go and get it, you know, um, at all. So I'm mentioning that because it wasn't until I actually left home, left my grandparents' home and went to, you know, Berlin and London and just looked around is when I, when I threw the chains off, so to speak. And I sort of threw myself. Yeah, that's, that was me. That's really right there when she took the chains off. And then she took the chains off and went, that was in Berlin. And it was my first um, group I was singing in. Um, Wait, that, was just, that was just a snapshot. Hang on, before you get to the first group. So you leave. Okay, so let me understand. So your grandparents and that, that typical age group saw the television as rich stars, Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. Or, or even, you know, German singers that were, you know, in the hit parade and, you know, but it, but it was, it was just like, this is not, this is a different world, you know, and I didn't feel it was a different world, but I was given that message that it was, you know, so it took a lot for me to actually question that later. So what was the expectations? What were you supposed to go do? Work where? Yeah, well, in my family, I mean, I'm, I come from the red light district of Hamburg, right? So my family were working class. They were either working class people. My grandfather was a crane driver. You know, uh, my my grandmother was a housewife. My mother, my aunt, my you know, and this aunt, and that aunt, and the other aunt, they were all working in the red light district, you know, <laughs> uh, various, you know. Mm, mm, ladies <laughs> and bar personnel and whatever. My mother too, she, when she was 18, I mean, my mother, um, she was a bar lady at the place where the Beatles first started. So she knew the Beatles and stuff like that. So this is the kind of environment, you know, that, that I was born into. So there was a lot of, there was all that connection to music and, 
but there was, you know, there this, but they were all working class people, harbor workers, um, you know, um, it, so there really wasn't that. And, and they didn't like my grandmother's own that my father, my grandmother's son and her daughter, they never had any proper jobs that they learned because my grandmother sort of didn't let them. It was, it just wasn't something that she promoted. It wasn't like, you know, it was almost like you have to stay within this, this social class or this, you know, um, it just wasn't on her radar, I don't think, you know, but it was on mine. I, I think I'm the first person that, that actually went out there and did something very different, you know, in the well, family. Oh, big time. First of all, for any family to go into the arts program, is mm. it's not like you're saying, well, I became a doctor or, you know, a lawyer. Mm. The parents and grandparents, like you said, were barmaids, worked in the red light district, crane operator, or worked as plumbers, electrical and stuff. That's the typical, typical jobs. Mm. Your job is not, and at that time, it's not like today with social mm. media, people can look and research. Right. Heard of to go yeah. out. And yeah. I'm, I'm leaving to go to London. Why? They mm -hmm. must ask why. Mm -hmm. said, but no. I knew I was, I always knew I was going to London. I, I had like English books they as a little. Knew you. No, they knew that. You knew that in your gut feeling. They yeah. must be saying, why is she going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In their mind. Yeah. Yeah. So. You for bigger things. Apparently you were. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I just, it wasn't easy. It wasn't, so, you know, I wasn't given that message that you can do this, you know, I just wasn't given that. So we're promoted to stay safe, get the regular job, leave that arts thing to those other people. Exactly. That's you. Something you like said, that. And you said, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so now how do you get the money together? What do you do to go to London? Where do you, where, what's your next stop? You're thinking about I mean, London and then Berlin and then London again. I went back, uh, you know, London at first was more like, it was almost like a school trip, you know, and then I finished school and then I went straight back there. You know, I was, I was like the first time I, I laid eyes on London. I knew, I mean, I knew as a little kid, I was going to go there, you know, um, I, I knew when I was five years old, I was going to go there and stay there. And, you know, I, I thought I was the queen of England. I used to dress up like the queen as a child, you know, and wave. So, but anyway, um, I just stayed in London a short while. It was more like a longer school trip or whatever. And then I remember we went there for New Year's Eve, just a long weekend. And I just, I was just in love with London. But then, you know, because we were young, uh, we went to Berlin and stayed, and we were there for a while. And um, that's where I, I sang in my first groups there in Berlin. And then before, and then later I went back to London and stayed 15 years there. So, so Berlin's the first groups. Which, what, what groups were you singing with in Berlin? I, the very first one, you, you wouldn't have even ever heard the demos we did because they're like crazy it was me and a, a, um me and a, another guy <laughs> in the bedroom with a you know like one of those keyboards that has an inbuilt drum machine you know and we we thought we were Depeche Mode and Yazoo and you know <laughs> 
doing all that. So that was the very first, but we made this crazy ass experimental, just insane. We would just roll around the floor laughing. Never, And then we did, we even, we even did a, a live show, which actually went down really well. But um, then I actually then sang in a soul group called Billy and the Deep. And we were like the Berlin sensation overnight. So that was nice. Um, so that we just had a, one, we had a, a couple of gigs and then the next thing I know, we're like on the front cover of every newspaper, you know, um, and it's like the new thing. And, you know, then, so that was just amazing. That was just a short, a short time, but it was crazy and it was great. Um, you know, so you went from experimental to soul. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because somebody had introduced me to soul music, which I, I was only aware of marginally, but, um, someone i went into a berlin record shop one day um picking up some um 60s 60s revival like 60s garage music i collected those records and then the the, the guy behind the counter said have you ever heard soul music and I, I i don't know why he said that and i was sort of like yeah of course i have you know but i hadn't really not in a very conscious way and so he said i tell you what I'm going to order uh, a couple of Motown records for you, Martha Reeves, and 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 also the Supremes, you know. And I, so, and then when I when they arrived, I was like, okay, well, what else do you need? You know, this is really it changed my whole entire life. So then I had this dilemma of, well, what do I do? I like the repetitive electronic music. Um. And I listen to John Peel and I, I, I like all that stuff, you know, and, but I now, I now want to shift my focus onto singing really about something that's a bit less complicated and a bit, bit less true to the, you know, directly from the soul. Sure. And, and so I wanted to combine the two and that's when the whole trouble started, <laughs> you know? Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Then okay, so then take us on that now. So what do you mean the trouble started? How's the trouble begin? Well, when you you know, I wanted to combine two kinds of music that weren't normally combined: soul music with electronic music. Okay, there were there were some groups doing, you know, bits and pieces like that, but not necessarily. In, in this way that I wanted to, wanted to do it and like really authentic soul. Right. So, um, so I started exploring, you know, um, and so when I was in Berlin, that was a pure, pure 11 piece soul group. You know, it was, it was just revival soul. It was amazing. I loved it, you know, but then I went to London and that's when, the time was just sort of right to combine the two directions, electronic music and, and soul music. I mean, house music to me allowed, allowed that, you know, but so I went, see now that's crazy now because you went in that record shop previous mm. and you're already getting the soul input. So now mm -hmm. you're able to then study it and then figure out how you're going to implement that into. Yeah. And wow. I would go to the first house clubs in, in London, you know, when nobody knew what it, what it was. What people were just, people were, do you remember, huh? 
called it at that time? Do you remember what they were calling the music yet? You know, but they were so it was so experimental because nobody knew what it was called, really. Well, I mean, people were I, there were sort of whispers about Acid House. You know, there's this club, you know, where people dress funny and they they do these dances and and nobody really knew what it was. But I just um, went and uh, the the first house night that I went to was at Heaven. It was a night at Heaven. I can't remember what the night was called, but it was pure Acid House, and there were like. 20 people on the dance floor next week 150 next week 500 it grew so quickly it was unbelievable so you were right there at a groundbreaking moment in the uk yeah yeah it was it was and and you know it was like in the very beginning it was sort of hip-hop guys against acid house guys so the hip-hop guys would be assembled around the dance floor with their arms folded and then the week after that, you would see them <laughs> on the dance floor, you know? So it was totally like that, and you could see it, and it grew like wildfire. It was great. Those are the kind of things that you like to see happen, that mm -hmm. is like a homogenizing way. Yeah. Organic. And for me, and for me, it was just, I, I was looking for that repetitive thing, that's what I was trying to do in Berlin with my friend in the bed, you know, in the bedroom with a with a drum machine. But um, but now was the time, and now you know people were doing it, and people were responding to that kind of thing. And I just felt, uh, you know, and I was just enjoying being on the dance floors. But then one day, I went to the Wag Club, and. Um, I was dancing and, you know, going nuts on the dance floor to all kinds of stuff. And Julian Jonas' record, Jealousy and, Lie Jealousy and Lies, was playing. Mm. And I just... Lost it, right? I lost my shit. I just stopped. <laughs> I just stopped and... Um, I went up to the DJ and I said, what, what is this? What is this? You know? And he told me the next day went and got the record, you know? And to me, it was like, this is what I'm going to do. This is, this is it, you know? Good decision. Good decision. And yeah. So the first Electribe 101 single was basically a ripoff of, of Julian's record. So. Okay. so now are you, who is in and how do you meet? What's the next steps from the heaven and the wag club? I well, I was, I was living in a really downtrodden housing cooperative in London and with no money and no outlook. And, re, you know, it was like really depressed because I wasn't making music. And I, I was sort of seeing no perspective. And I put an advertisement in the Melody Maker newspaper for those that are not familiar with Melody Maker. And uh, it said... Soul Rebel seeks musicians, um, genius only. <laughs> and <laughs> that's a guy, big tall order. I know, right? And so genius, the guys, murdered genius only. That means we don't want no people that are basic start out wasting my time. But I, so I was just, you know, wants the best of the best to come forward. But I had already written the melodies and lyrics to talking with myself at that point. Um, so I had a few, you know, demos and bits and pieces like that. 
And then the guys from Birmingham who later, you know, we became Electribe 101, they came to see me from Birmingham. And um, at first I wasn't sure, like, you know, I thought they were weird. And, <laughs> you know, I was just like, no, I don't think so, guys. But thanks for coming, you know. And then Brian from, who later became uh, Electribe, um, called me one day from Birmingham and said, look, we have a recording studio up in Birmingham, you know. So I was like, okay. So I went up there with Julian Jonas' record and with a few demos, one of them being melodies and lyrics for, for talking with myself. And the guys just instantly, you know, they were just, I mean, they had already experimented with dance music, which was just starting then, you know. Um, what was the demo consisting of that you did? Was it just you singing into the It microphone? was a very different, no, it had a backing track, but it was done with different people. So it was like a ballad. It was like a slowish ballad with a little groove, but you know, uh, but the melody and the lyrics were identical uh, because once I write a song, I never change it, no matter what happens. I'm really inflexible. <laughs> so, um, but the back, the music was completely different. So you, but mean, I, you don't compromise, basically. You don't compromise. That's no, I'm not flexible. What it is, no. I write a song the moment I write it. Every note is exactly where it is, and it stays that way. And it's like really, like you know, um, you fit your know, music to go around my song, not the other way around. <laughs> I'm not very flexible at all. So anyway, the guys didn't didn't really need any persuasion, or you know, uh, they just took to it like you know, yeah, no problem. We we want to do this anyway, and and that's how that happened, you know. Okay, so you do this, now you record up there and you get everything prepared. What happens? You Are you living up in the Birmingham area? You're working on the record or are you going back and forth from London? I went back and forth for the next four, four, five years. Um, stayed in London, went back and forth. And um, what happened was that the record... Um, was picked up by all these pirate radio stations. There was a white label, which we actually hand hand uh, printed and stuff. Um, uh, and, and it was picked up by all these radio stations, pirates. And, um, and then Brian from the group said, you know, I have a contact at Phonogram Records. And like five minutes later, we were signed. It was like, so there was no process, you know, other than the white label was really championed by by people out there well, um, out, doing the bar scene like a typical rock band and having to prepare and play out all those gigs and then hopefully an a and not person. in that case no but i i think i did that in berlin and also they did that as whatever previous group they were you know and um yeah so so then then the record was was released and and uh yeah it was a bit of a hit i guess Oh yeah, it was it was a very successful record for its mm. time. What year was that record that was was it released? Do you remember? I'm I'm not very good at with with dates, but I no, think it was exactly uh, year about eighty nine. That's right. That Fans time. will probably correct me, right? But um, 
Probably aging now. Playing that record around 1989, yes. So, Billy, now that you're not broke anymore in 89, the record comes out and you're starting to play music and play out. What changes? Mm-hmm. What happens to you as, as you as a performer now? You go from, you know, underground to what happens? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was suddenly on the cover of every magazine and in the limelight, which was really... For me, it was kind of weird because, you know, I'd always felt that's what, you know what I mean? Like the the two-year-old or the five-year-old going, I want to be on that television, you know, and there I was, you know. So for me, it was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? And I was thrilled, of course. And, and I was also thrilled because I could put some ideas into place that I had, you know, for because, you know, I, I, I have ideas for videos and photos and clothes and I design clothes. You know, I do the whole sort of thing and, and it was just amazing. So suddenly um, I could do it, which which was just great, you know. And then, yeah, so it wasn't anything unusual for me. It, I just, just felt like, yeah, okay, <laughs> that took a while. <laughs> so Top of the Pops too with that year? That yeah, record? a lot of time. Yeah, we did. Uh, actually, Electra did it twice. Prior to that, I was on top of the pops, I think a few times with S Express, which I briefly sang in also, I should mention. We're we'll getting a clap, everybody. S Express. Right? Uh, S Express. Uh, that was fun. He left that, that out. That little oh wait, I'm sorry, I forgot. Another band. So I had my little my little top of the pops experience, <laughs> I guess. So know. before you picked up with Electribe 101, when did you mm-hmm. record the S Express stuff? I met Mark Moore from S Express at Shoom Club. <laughs> and I went up to him and I said, um, I'm a singer and you know, I'd love you know, I'd love to sing and all this. And and he said, Oh, really? Okay, well, and he, he I gave him my number and he actually called me. And so that's it. Went in the studio. A few months later, uh, went in the studio and recorded a few um songs with him. Um for as for the album, and all of a sudden you're on top of the pops not too long after, right? With with all these crazy people from the group, I loved them all. You know, they were a wonderful bunch of crazy people, just amazing, <laughs> just really great. You know, it's like wow, what group? You know, we, I had so many, many fun times with them. Um, and then Electribe sort of started happening around that time too. So, so that's why you did the Mel- Melody Maker magazine. Um, advert you put in there looking for genius because you were already spoiled with some good stuff you already had big records no i i think i god i can't remember if i put the ad in yeah it was it, it, I, I don't know if i'd already recorded with s express or not but it was around that time i put i put the ad ad in yeah and that record hit the charts. I don't remember what, oh. I know it was top 20. I don't know exactly where it was, but I remember that record was pretty big too. Which one? S Express. Oh yeah, that was uh, Hey Music Lover. I mean, the first one, theme from S Express, that was number one. Yes, yes. And then Hey Music Lover must have been number, oh, you know what? I'm I'm guessing here, but top 10 for sure. Well, what does that mean? A number one record now? You went. It means from- nothing now, but it meant a lot then. <laughs> to explain that feeling, because you must have went from, I'm just now recording, and all of a sudden, holy smoke, we're number one. 
in the pot. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, but that was more it that because that was Mark's group. I was just a guest, you know. So I was just there having fun and you know uh, showing up for for all these um, gigs we did abroad and the recordings and stuff. And um, I, but I didn't feel like you know it wasn't me that was having a number one. I was just singing on you know, I was singing on the record. But you hearing, but, but remember, you're hearing your voice all over the place. Mm-hmm. Everywhere you go, you go into mm-hmm. McDonald's, you sit down, to eat, <laughs> you hear the subway on the on the on the <laughs> speakers. So you have to feel that feeling, no matter if it's not your group or not. It's still a great, successful feeling. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, but let's take it back a little bit. Did you like being depressed and not have anything happen? <laughs> Did I like being depressed? <laughs> right, and, not, and you're saying, you know, nothing is happening yet? No, you no, probably- it was horrible. It was horrible. I, I, it was. So now you're in a position where something sparks like that. That means you can take that and say, hey, that's me on that record. And mm-hmm. that opens a big door. Mm-hmm. Right? It opens. I'm gonna also take a guess mm-hmm. that Electribe, the, the 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 band members of Electribe 101 probably said to Phonogram, "Hey, this is Billy singing on here, and you know the number one hit she had with S Express, mate. That's her too." And they're like, "Oh, we definitely sign it." I don't Regardless think so. I I don't think they did. I just think. Talking with myself was so championed by DJs out there. Know, what happens is when you talk to a and people, that's all mm-hmm. you do is say those magic words. Really? Oh, okay. I, yeah. yeah I, I forget. A, yeah, you would say to someone, yeah, she had the massive hit mm-hmm. with such as S Express. Right. And of course, they'll be like, <laughs> oh, wow. That, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, no question. We want to bring the record in. You know, we mm. want to buy it. And that's just mm. what happens is the excitement. Mm. Uh, machine is moving. So life is changing for you at that point, right? Big time. But it doesn't it doesn't mean that I'm, you know, I mean, you know this and I know this. It's not easy whether you have a hit record or not. It's not easy to be dealing with major record companies. Um Oh God! It's- so it's not like oh suddenly I'm I'm just flying high and I'm having a ball and I don't really have to to worry about a thing. You, you in fact you worry about more because you're you're put under pressure. You're told what to do, what not to do, what you know. Um, and so suddenly the machine becomes <laughs> it comes a bit of a hamster wheel, you know. Um, so it's not like, you know, I'm, I'm just flying high going, oh, I've got all these hit records and look at me on top of the pops. I'm just like, you know, because top of the pops isn't like, wasn't, wasn't, um, wasn't um, a walk in the park either. You know, it's like, it was a weird show. They tell you where to stand and where to look and what to wear and what not to do. And you better not misbehave because otherwise they won't like you and they won't have you come back. And, you know, so there's, so it's not rules. like... I remember that too. The rules are ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, um, so it's not like suddenly there are no problems. You know, you just have a set of different problems, I think, you know. 
but you're in demand now. That's the difference. I suppose. Change is, you know, you wish. Look, let's break it down for the people at home watching. <laughs> and think about this, everybody. You all wish for something to happen. And I've done this too. When you're in the middle of wishing this, you don't realize these crazy things happen. Mm. But you have a different picture in your mind. Right. Of what the end result is going to be. Mm -hmm. So the picture at five years old, the picture at 18 years old, the picture at 23 years old, it's way different, right? Am I mm -hmm. right or wrong? Yeah. Was it anything you imagined what you thought it was going to be like when you got I never thought about what it was going to be like. I was just always following my favorite stars, you know, when I was little and as I grew up and as a teenager and then later, you know... David Bowie and everyone, you know, I followed and, and I was just living for, um, I was quite, I, I was living all for the music others made too, you know, because that was my whole world. And, and I just kept thinking, Oh, I can do this. I can do this. But I never thought about what that would be like, you know, because I was not given that message from my home upbringing um, that, that I could be one of those people. And so when I then finally went and just, you know, broke, broke through some barriers to actually just go and do it. I still didn't think, I mean, it was just, it just sort of happened. You well, know? Let's, let's, let's show everybody the kind of things, barriers you broke through. So the electric thing breaks out and look who she's touring with. <laughs> look who she's touring with there. We take a good, breathe that in really nicely. <laughs> on a world violation tour. Right. And who's the opening act? On the on the European lake, yeah. <laughs> and guess who's bottled yeah. off stage every night by the fans by yeah. fifty thousand people. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we like to bring you Electron One Hundred and One. Boo! Boo! Crazy, right? Boo. <laughs> look, 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 look! Sold out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And that's the flyer, and that's what you're dealing with. Wembley Arena. She's going from, you know, I'm living alone, and all of a sudden, here we are all over Europe. I know. World domination, world violation. <laughs> this is why we have to laugh about it, because she says it so eloquently. It's, it, well, that wasn't a piece of cake that tour. I'm telling you, I was, I was, yeah, I was drinking heavily to go through it. You know, that is uh, what the hell you were dealing with. People want to know what a superstar like you at that <laughs> moment. You're on television now, mind you. Remember, let me break it down for you. Very simple, everyone at home. There was no social internet. Mm. So the t what would happen is Billy's picture would be in the paper. Mm -hmm. or a magazine right. that's the social media that we all had at that time mm. so if billy broke into something big mm. next month it was the next month's issue of a magazine right. Or right. it was on the next morning's paper front mm. page of the sun yeah 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 so give us a, what the, the what the hell are you doing you're drinking so much why were you drinking on the best because because in those days depeche mode fans were really hardcore what do you mean hardcore? What do you mean hardcore? They, they they didn't want to see support groups, so we we were literally bottled off stage every night. Oh. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was horrible. <laughs> it 
that's really, I mean, I could tell, we could do a whole hour and I could tell you stories that happened while we were on that stage and the things that we were thrown at us and you would die laughing. And today I can laugh about it, but let me tell you, at that time, nobody laughed about it. Not even the, not even Depeche Mode because they they knew what was going on and they were really kind to us, you know. Um, what were they throwing at you that you said that you can laugh? That or we can look back, we can laugh now. Yeah, but at that time... It depends which country. Tomatoes, shoes, coins, um, and, you know, raised middle fingers and fuck off Electribe and, you know, boom. Ah, no. And it was horrible. It was really horrible. Um and and I I you know I didn't want to continue and they made me stay on the tour because we signed a contract you know this is this is like yeah okay so that's what I'm trying to tell everybody at home this is the realness of why this is cool this is the realness house stories <laughs> well true lies stories this is lies house story these are true this is as true as it gets all right mm-hmm. keep going so there so each country had its own way of really booing it. <laughs> spain threw shoot coins at you baltic <laughs> area what were they doing there and like North yeah? and then did you go to scandinavia too yeah, that, we went everywhere. What did they give you Scandinavia? What were they throwing at you? They, this, the, 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 that whole region of the world was very well behaved. They just ignored us. Um, you know, <laughs> was, so that was great. Um, there, there are countries where people were quite well behaved. And then there were countries which were so bad that you never wanted to go back to them again, you know. Um, so it was a, it was a it was a mixed bag, but generally, yeah, that that's what would happen. Big big time having things thrown at us. Oh, Billy, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I mean, now we la- I laugh because you know, uh, it, but it wasn't funny then. I'm telling you. No, I don't think it would ever be funny now. But we're laughing because <laughs> it's adorable. But not at that time. Now, when you're a breakout act, you know, you're trying to make your own path. Mm. These people are not hearing that. They don't want mm-hmm. to hear, get off our stage. Bring us to Pesh. But we didn't pay to listen to Electribe 101. That's it. That's it. That's, That's all it was. We didn't this. Why do we have yeah. to spend an hour to yeah. go do this band? What mm-hmm. are you guys doing to us? You're killing us. And I mean, we played live too, you know? So yeah. we, we were like double pissed about the whole thing you know because we were really because you know with the in those days the the mixes that were done on stage with the that was done live and the bass everything was played live the bass the keyboards everything you know so we were like double pissed that we were just wasting our time and what was nice though of course were the gigs in the uk because people that were quite happy to hear a support group they were quite happy to hear us. They knew us. They knew our music, and they were absolutely wonderful. So when when we so the last the last um, that was the last leg of the tour was UK, and it was just like being back in civilization. Frankly, you know, it was great. God bless. Thank God. So keep going now. Take us on the Electribe to the next journey. So how long do you stay with Electribe, and what well, goes there? We did the singles, uh, two, wait a minute, three more singles. Um, uh, Tell Me When the Fever Ended was a hit, Back on Top of the Pops. 
Your Walking was a minor hit, but not big enough for the record company, you know, that kind of thing. Um, then we did Inside Out, which was not picked up by Radio 1. And in those days, it was a Radio 1 or nothing, you know, situation. So if Radio 1 didn't play playlist your song, you were you were out, you know, it was that kind of thing. So Inside Out wasn't a hit. And uh, we then went to record a second album, which we started in the studio in, in Birmingham. Um, recorded most of the tracks. Um, the record company said they would wanted to put us together with a with another producer to see if you know that could maybe enhance what whatever we were doing. And then Howard Gray from Apollo Four Forty he produced two or three of the songs. Um, did really well, and we went to Olympic Studios in London, you know, so it was all this kind of big time, but also big pressure, of course. Um, and But they sounded really good, and then we, we did um, the rest of the mixes ourselves in Birmingham, delivered, and I mean, the group was under a lot of strain. We were managed by Tom Watkins, it was difficult, we we kind of lost a lot of the Depeche Mode had really been difficult for us. It, you know, it, we we weren't having much fun anymore together. You know, so you uh, there was that, that whole tour changed. There the was so much pressure. You know, we, we, the tour was 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 strenuous for us. Um, also, as people, you know. St sticking together through thick and thin, you know, I don't think we had, we'd had time to learn all that. And then, um, Tom Watkins was a destructive force trying to break up the group. So that was, he was trying to like place mistrust between us. How was he? Yeah. Was he starting? Ooh, a lot of stories. That could be another hour. Um, but give us yeah. a he was trying to sack individual band members, mostly me, for no apparent reason, just like sack you. He wanted you. He just wanted you out. He wanted me out. And, um, you know, so it, it was nuts, you know. Um, and so that was weird because we kept doubting each other and, and you know, what's going on, you know, what, what the hell is all this intrigue? And, and so we got rid of. Tom Watkins, um, finished the um, demo mixes for our second album, delivered it to the record company, and they dropped us. <laughs> so that was the end of the group. They dropped you? They dropped us. What was the reason? Okay, the remark from the managing director of Phonogram okay. at the time whose name escapes me, said, what's with this soul shit? And we were dropped. Wow, that's, <laughs> that's incredible. What is with this soul shit? Yeah. So this is now an album that, I, that we're releasing this year. After all these years, um, went through every, you know, because the audio had to be restored. It was, they were mastered three times. I rejected all, you know, so a lot of work's just gone into it and it will come out this year. So. Yeah, we'll get to that moment. That, <laughs> that, that album will find its way to the ending of this 
I can't believe it after all these years. Yeah. Almost three ge- three decades has been sitting mm-hmm. waiting to see the light of day. Mm. Billy, what happens at that point when you're dropped? What do you do? Like, I, hang on. Uh, hang on. Before we go, let's go to a commercial because we got to have a 